0: Terms and conditions apply. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Santiva.
1: Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the Eight Side Network. Mike Montgomery joins us on Sports Byline USA. I've known Mike for a very long time because he was down at Stanford for some 18 years, but he's a college basketball Hall of Fame coach now after coaching six seasons at Cal, 18 at Stanford, and eight as the head coach in Montana. And he was also the head coach for two seasons with the Golden State Warriors. Mike, you grew up in Long Beach, California, went to Long Beach State. What was it that made you gravitate in the direction of coaching?
2: Well, my household, the thing that was most important was sports, and so I guess what would illustrate that would be that TV could not come on in our house before five p.m. in the afternoon unless it was sports. If there was sports, we could watch TV. So that that kind of tells you what the priorities were. My dad was a you know, athletic director at Long Beach State, played football and basketball and rugby at UCLA. My brothers were older brothers were both really good athletes, so. That's just what we did, and I—I I don't, uh, you know. At one point, I think they, my parents, thought maybe I'd do something else, get out of athletics. But I—that I, was all I ever really wanted to do because. We were kids we would go to the track and watch track meets and we I mean we just grew up around it so it's kind of what we knew
1: you know when you think back to when you started coaching as an assistant first but your head first head coaching job was at montana and you think about what it's like today with the rules and the NCAAs, the kids social media and everything do you just kind of shake your head how simple was it back in those days
2: well you know I didn't know what I didn't know that was a, that was the interesting thing i mean I just I thought I had all the answers. I was 30 years old, and uh, Montana was a great program. I mean, really well attended, a lot of interest. It was the show in town. Now, football sort of is at the university, but then it was basketball. And uh, you just, yeah, it was pretty simple. You recruited kids, and you coached them, and they didn't transfer. Uh, much It was just they, you, you worked them and you tried to win games. And they tried to get their degree. At that level, of course, kids weren't going on to the pros. At least most of them weren't. a had a few. But, uh, and I always thought, but again, and now it's been a number of years, that that's what college sports was supposed to be about. And it's changed so drastically now that you already don't even recognize it uh, anymore. Salaries are very large. Kids transfer seems like at will and it's very difficult to follow sports and follow your favorite teams and develop the rivalries that once were
1: and also how hard is it to recruit today compared to when you went into a kid's house i mean the questions you were asked back then when you started as a coach even an assistant coach in basketball and think about what it's like to be out on the road what the what you have to battle because everybody's trying to get an edge and then you've got people whispering in these kids ears i i just don't know how anybody does it today
2: Well, it's a different generation, and of course I have to recognize that. My son who's in coaching, of course, is part of that generation, and uh, there were things that I did when I first started coaching that my dad didn't understand either, so it's, it's kind of a generational thing, and just things evolve, and you just have to roll with those punches, but there's just so much more involved now. You know, the question was, will little Johnny get a chance to play, and can he get this degree? This is what we're interested in studying, and uh, do you have any money at all that could help out so we could afford You know, it was just different then. I thought it was a privilege to play college athletics. I still feel it is, but I don't think it's generally viewed that way.
1: It's interesting. Uh, I had a long talk with Mike Shashevsky, who I've known for a number of years, and certainly you know him as well, and I remember asking, I said, you know, Mike, you have a reputation for not screwing up a kid when he gets into your program. I said, what do you look for when you go into a recruit's house? And he said, sometimes it's one parent, sometimes it's two parents, but I always make sure I ask the parent a question, and then as they're answering, I look out of the corner of my eye and watch to see whether the kid is rolling his eyes or not when his parents are answering the question. I said, well, what does that tell you? He says it tells me they respect authority, and I thought that was very interesting. What did you find uh, was the thing that kids were looking for the most, and how did you try to read them as you were recruiting them?
2: Well, I, I was—I always felt like good students, typically kids that would do well in the classroom, meant that they were conscientious about themselves and what they, you know, what they wanted to try to accomplish. I thought that was really important. And that's an interesting point about the parents, because we did have kids. Uh, I can remember specifically where a kid was back talking or uh, to his mother and telling, oh, Mom, that's not true. Don't you? you know, we just walked out. We didn't want any part of that kid. So uh, th- that's a pretty telling thing when you watch a young person. And obviously, those 18 years at Stanford, we typically had kids from two-parent homes, very good structure, uh, did Pretty much overachieved in most everything they did. And I always felt those kids would succeed in basketball if you gave them a, re- a reason to work hard, a reason, and put them in a a good environment and a situation that you could win with those kids.
1: You became the head coach at Montana in 1978 after being an assistant for a couple of seasons, and you coached a couple of future NBA players, Michael Ray Richardson and Larry Kristoviak. Tell me a little bit about what you saw in them that may have indicated to you that they had a chance at the next level.
2: Michael Ray was... I was an assistant with Michael Ray when he was there. He was a phenomenal athlete. I mean, he was just a long-arm, 6'4", 6'5", guard that could really explode to the basket. Uh, He was... You know, not a great student, and sort of out of his element at Montana. But he seemed to thrive there. I was, quite frankly, surprised that he didn't transfer and look for a bigger fish pond to play in. But he he stayed with us, and and we won a lot of games with Michael. But boy, could he defend! We had, I remember, the nation's leading scorer come in one one game. It was Freeman Williams from Portland State, and I told Michael, I said, you know, everybody knows you can play offense, but you you go in and shut this kid down, people are going to see you in a different light. Well, Freeman had zero at half. Completely took him out of the game. He's very athletic, and uh, of course, he went to New York, which was a bad place for him to go, just because of the size. Red Holtzman was the coach, and was an older gentleman that really wasn't going to spend a lot of time with the younger players, and you know, Michael got it, caught up with the wrong people, and I think the rest is history, but boy, could he play. He was, uh, everybody that played against him in that league marveled at how athletic and how quick to the basket he was.
1: After those eight seasons at Montana, what was the motivation for you to go to Stanford? What type of, you know, vetting did you do when looking at that program?
2: You know, I had I interviewed at Colorado, I interviewed at Washington, I actually had an interview at Oregon, I told them they should hire Munson, there. I thought I should have had the Washington job. Colorado, Bob Knight came in and kind of pushed his guy. and But I, it just, it got small. The town just got small. Eight years, you know, they pretty soon people start to want more and so forth and was looking for a bigger challenge and oddly enough, when the Stanford thing came up, I had applied four years prior when Tom Davis got the job and uh, Andy Geiger remembered me and we'd had pretty good success and Uh, it it was just like of all the places that you could have ended up now I know they hadn't had a lot of success what an unbelievable institution for me from Long Beach State, Montana, to end up as a head coach at Stanford. I mean, I was just in awe of the place for the first three or four, two or three, four years. It was was an incredible experience.
1: But the dynamic was certainly different there as far as the recruitment of athletes. I know in talking with Bill Walsh and when I was doing the play-by-play on the football team, uh, you know, they could not get some of the athletes because they weren't academically, uh, um, you know, as, as up to speed as maybe other colleges and universities. How did you approach that? challenge?
2: Well, you have to understand the place. Anybody that goes into Stanford and, and tries to beat the system or find a way around is just not going to succeed. You have to understand what the school stands for and what they want. There are plenty of kids out there, but you have to really work to find them. And when you do, you're going to have an excellent chance to recruit them uh the first admissions director that i had gene fetter she was a tough gal but i i really liked her i think she explained things fairly and let me know what we wanted to do there and of course i inherited a great group of kids with uh, todd lichty and howard wright eric reveno they we had a great group of kids that just they wanted to win and we were able to play a system that allowed them to win but uh, it's it's not for everybody, and they do not compromise with their standards. That they they want to have student athletes that can do the work, and it works. The system works very well for them. They've been able to establish across the board excellence in both academics and athletics.
1: Well, we have a minute before we have to break, Mike. But did you have to adapt your philosophy, basketball philosophy, in order to get maximum output from the players that you did have?
2: You know, I'm not really. Uh, the way I like to play with big strong kids—an inside-oriented game—with Eric Reveno and Wright, and of course we had the Collins twins, and you know we had Mark Madsen, we had Curtis Porcher, We had good big guys. All of them went on to have pro careers. Uh, so no, it worked really well for me. I think when, when uh, Tom Davis had left, he was concerned that he couldn't recruit the type of athletes that he needed to press and play the way he wanted to play. But it fit right into my right into my strength area, and, uh, couldn't happen. It couldn't have been a better situation for me.
1: Mike Montgomery with us, college basketball Hall of Fame coach who coached six seasons at Cal, eighteen at Stanford, and eight as the head coach of Montana, and also coaching in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors, which we'll talk about in the next segment. But his Stanford teams reached the NCAA tournament ten straight times between '95 and 2004, and they also reached the Final Four under Montgomery in 1998, the school's first Final Four appearance in some 56 years. So we'll. Talk talk about that as well as we continue across the country and around the world good to have you with us here on sports byline you're listening to ron barr's sports byline usa podcast
2: there's no distance too far for the perfect trip
1: hi checking in for
2: or the perfect table
1: hey where are you coming
2: and when you get access to resi priority notify with your amex platinum card
1: hey this looks amazing i'm so glad you made it
0: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: Mike Montgomery has joined us here on Sports Byline. I mentioned uh, before the break about uh, the run that you had in NCAA tournaments. As you got that program rolling... Uh, Tell me a little bit how you kept it rolling, because I've talked to a lot of coaches, Mike, and asked them which is it harder to do—to get back into competition and be successful year in year, or to 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 keep and maintain it. What did you find?
2: Well, we had a—you know—when we lost Adam Keefe to graduation and and, uh, Andrew Lawhoff, uh, we had won the NIT that year, which which I thought was a great experience. We won five straight games, four of them on the road. Uh, You know, we were a little down. Then we had a group that got some kids injured, and we had the one bad year there. And the thought, I think, at the time was, oh, here we go. We're going to go back to being same old Stanford. But uh, then a young man by the name of Brother Knight came along, and he just kind of single-handedly got us back to where we wanted to go a lot of the african-american kids around the country looked and saw this feisty east coast guard with oversized pants you know the shorts and everything and that was not maybe typical of what stanford had and all of a sudden we were starting to recruit and beat the schools that we needed to beat on recruits and once that happened we got it going stanford became a destination and uh, the thing that was always funny is you looked at the same schools year after year in the top 20. It was always the same people. You just put them in a, put them in a hat, roll them out, and it was just different order of the same people. Uh, then all of a sudden we got in the hat. And, uh, you know, kids started to list us as places that one of the places that they wanted to go to school. We had to chuckle because they didn't know whether we even had classes. They just said, oh, Stanford, they're good in basketball. I want to go there. Little did they know they had no chance to get in. But uh, keeping it going after that was, you know, it just kind of perpetuated itself. The older kids recruited really well for us. They they all loved it. They all graduated. They all stuck together. Uh, It just became a very, very easy job to do because of the quality of the kids.
1: You know, it appeared to me, Mike, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, as I watched you coach at Stanford over the years, is that they, you know, they listened. They were coachable kids, and they, they bought into whatever the system was. They bought into the team concept. Am I correct in that?
2: Well, I emphasized it for sure, and they. what I found out about Stanford kids was that if you gave them a reason that made sense for them to do something, they would do it. You know, Now, you couldn't just tell them to run through a wall without a reason that didn't make any sense, but if you gave them a real reason that made sense to them, they would do what you asked them to do. They were used to doing what they were supposed to do. They wouldn't have been there had they not done that throughout their you know, scholastic career for certainly in in basketball as well. And then once we established a kind of a senior to junior oriented leadership system, the younger kids just came in and maybe you'd have some nonsense at first, and them not understanding, thinking they're the deal. Didn't take long to figure out. The older kids would let them know, this is how we do it here. This is what, you know, you need to do to be successful. And, And it worked. And of course, they all wanted to graduate until we finally got a kid or, two that left after their third season to go to the NBA. Most of the kids would stay and they all graduated and that was really important to them.
1: What was the key to you guys going to the Final Four in 98?
2: Well, we had a great group of kids that played together, but Certainly that some of the was greater than the individual parts. You know, we didn't have a bunch of superstars. Madsen was probably the most visible. And he did have a, a good career in the NBA, but he wasn't a superstar. But we got a little bit lucky, uh, which I think is is part of the equation. The number one seed in our side of the bracket got beat, upset early before we had to play them as did another school that we thought would have been a real formative opponent for us. They got beat, and so then we got schools that were not as seated as highly, and we were able to beat them. And then we played Rhode Island in uh, the the 16, no, the 8 to get to the final four, and they had us down a bunch. And all of a sudden, we started pressing and fouling and putting the line, and it was just, we'd get three, they'd get two. We'd get three, they got one. Boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, we got a steal, dunked the ball, went ahead, and uh, it was an unbelievable comeback. So there was a little bit of luck involved.
1: You know as well as I do what the rivalry is like between Cal and Stanford, and we'll talk about the uh, NBA experience in just a little bit. But, but I always want, thought that because of the great success you had and the manner, the classy manner in which you coached that team, that it probably was a little bit easier for you. You weren't going to get the catcalls and the ridicule uh, to the degree that somebody, if it was just anybody else, would get when they played Stanford. What was that like, and what was the behind the decision to go to Cal?
2: Well, of course, I had. I, I never would have left Stanford. There, I had all kinds of opportunities to take other jobs, good jobs from Stanford. But we we really liked it there. We respected so much what the university stood for. We were having success. And so we just decided that that was where we were going to stay. And then, you know, the year that we uh, <clears throat> finally, well, we were rated number one in the country, we were ranked number one in the turn tournament going in. We were undefeated till the final game of the regular conference season. We were really good, had a great group of kids, and then this Warriors thing came up. So, that came up. We wrestled with that. We did that. We lasted two years, and then I was out for a couple years and worked as a special assistant to the athletic director, and at that point, I realized that, one, I wanted to work with my son who was in coaching, and that I had one more go-around. You know, I was getting to the point that if I waited much longer, that I wasn't going to have that opportunity. So uh, the best, really the best job that came along was Cal, and I hadn't looked at it from the standpoint. I wasn't trying to cause any any controversy or anything, uh, maybe not fully understanding some of the uh, feelings that people had about that rivalry, but I never looked at it that way. I looked at it as two great universities that happened to be in the same area geographically. So that was the best job that was available to me, and I took it. And I had done some TV with them the year before. I'd seen their roster. I'd got a little more comfortable with Cal and Berkeley and thought they had a chance to be pretty good, and that turned out to be the case.
1: I was just going to ask you, what did you find uh, the differences between the culture of a public university and the culture of a private university?
2: Well, I, well, it's, I mean, it's night and day. It's, it couldn't be any more opposed. And, of course, you're not only talking about just a private university, you're talking about the the private university, and you're not talking about just a public university. You're talking about the number one public university in the country. It's like it's Republican, Democrat, urban, rural. I mean, you name it. it it's the, the differences are drastic. Both high quality institutions in their own right, but have definitely had different issues that, that need to be dealt with.
1: You know, people always talk, coaches always talk about, and you look at Billy Donovan with Oklahoma City and others that have made the the jump to the NBA, and I've often wondered what is it that entered their thinking to make them wanting to do that? But I suppose if you're goal-oriented, as most people are in sports, then that's understandable. Tell me about your thought process about professional basketball.
2: Well, it wasn't for me, I don't think. I, I think that uh, at the end of the day, I'm really a college basketball coach. What I believe, the things that I believe, how I deal with the players, They're pretty much a college-oriented uh, coach. Although, I-, I think I just started to figure it out when I was let go. We didn't have a great roster. We didn't have a team that was going to win. And in the NBA, if you don't have a roster that can win, you're not going to win. Talent wins in that league way more often than not. And you have to deal with the players a certain way. I think experience of having either played or coached in the NBA prior to being a head coach is invaluable because it's a different animal. It's a player's league. And uh, I didn't really realize that you watch coaches. They don't say much to the players in terms of when a game's going on, in terms of instructing or coaching or getting on kids. They just don't do that. And that wasn't my nature, but, uh, you know the Golden State Warriors now are are such a different type of team from what we're used to seeing in the NBA that it really renews your hope in in the whole process because great group of kids, coach that really relates well to them. They're playing pretty good team basketball. It's fun to watch.
1: Mike, when you think about that professional experience, do players at that level actually accept coaching?
2: Some do, some don't. Uh, I think that there are a fair portion that don't want to listen, and they're very difficult, and it makes your job very hard because there's constant confrontation and conflict, and you've got to always talk to get them going. Guys get in contract years, and they want more playing time. You've got agents Uh, There are some guys that are receptive to coaching, but it's a different way of coaching. It's a different thing uh, and a different approach to the way you approach them. Part of the thing, too, and and, and in all fairness, they're men now. And, you know, they make a lot of money, and they are men. Now, not all of them act like that. And you see around the league some of the players that cause problems that are impossible to coach, and you see the coaches don't last very long because – the one thing, there's a sense of entitlement in the NBA that exists, and it's never their fault, really. It's At the end of the day, when you start looking around for a reason why you lost, it's always going to come back to the coach. Uh, so, And that's just the way it is, and everybody that's in the league understands that.
1: Mike, I want to thank you very much for joining us, talking about your life and about your career. I've known you for a very long time, respected you as long as I've known you. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. Take care, my friend.
2: All right. Thank you very much. Nice talking with you, Ron.
1: Again, Mike Montgomery, he was named the Naismith Basketball Coach a number of times. Uh, Certainly in 2000, he got that award, and he coached for a number of years very successfully. We've got you on Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline
0: USA podcast on the 8Side Network.